The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to this episode of 13. We want to start off by thanking our new patrons. Welcome to Anthony Santilli, Melinda Rister, Cassie Lindsay, Ariel Sandberg, Sarah Cardalona, Alyssa Gingell. Patrons get access to our Patreon-exclusive Discord, where you can chat with us about the show, or, lately, about a lot of other stuff, too. Bloopers, behind-the-scenes content. Find us at patreon.com forward slash 13pod. Before we get started, we wanted to share another podcast with you. Three Spooked Girls. A podcast where two ghoul friends talk about all things true crime and paranormal. New episodes come out every Monday and Thursday. Stay tuned after the show for a trailer. Okay, here's the show. I used to run a little neighborhood market in Delhi with my wife. It's on Cortland Avenue. The kind of place that you can walk to for snacks and junk food or sodas from the cooler. We also have your typical grocery staples, your bread, milk, and eggs. We've got a deli counter, too. My wife died earlier this year, and now it's just me. It was a long time coming, and at the end, she was miserable. It was a relief knowing that she wouldn't suffer anymore. It was almost a relief. I miss her. I miss her all the time. And for a while, I didn't know what I was going to do with myself. I closed down the store for a few weeks while I dealt with everything that she left behind. I was paralyzed with grief for a little while, just paralyzed. But eventually you have to start moving again. Life has to start moving again. So I reopened the store. I sold the house and moved into the little apartment above the market, the one we used to use for storage. It was cheaper. I didn't need a lot of space, and I was right upstairs from the store, so going to work was just walking down a flight of stairs. Not a bad commute. There are three really busy periods that make up about 80% of our sales. From 6 to 9 in the morning when people are leaving for work. Lunchtime. Lunchtime is the biggest moneymaker. We do hot lunch boxes, a sandwich and chips, or potato salad and coleslaw. Chicken salad, ham and cheese, turkey and Swiss. It's fast and the prices are better than other lunch spots this close to the city. And then from about 4 to 6 p.m., people come in and pick up a six-pack and supplies for dinner. We've got ground beef, sliced meats, and produce too. It all comes from local farmers in the counties around Cincinnati, some in Ohio, some in Kentucky. My wife, Renee, she was really proud of that, supporting local people. 
And that's what the day looks like here at the Cortland Avenue Market in Delhi. It's a cute little neighborhood. Two-story historic homes packed in close together. Lots of trees. It's a good place to make a life. Even if I'm not quite sure what to do with mine now. We're a few blocks from the Ohio River and just across the river from Cincinnati. The apartment above the store, where I live now, it's got a big window facing the street. And over the roofs and the houses, across the street, you can see the high-rise towers and the lights of the city. I've always lived in Newport. I love this little town. It feels like a place in between. Not a small town, but not really the city either. In between the Midwest and the South. I guess I'm kind of an in-between guy too. I have goals and ambitions, but they don't look the same as other people's goals and ambitions. I like getting up at 4.30 in the morning. Not in the early bird gets the worm sense. It's not a means to an end. No, it's the feeling itself. The quiet and easy solitude of the early morning. The river mist that hangs over Newport. The chill in the air when I step out and take the stairs down the side of the building. Looking up and down Cortland Avenue. Not another soul in sight. I like being the first person that you see in the morning. I'm good at reading people. I can tell when someone wants to talk and when someone just needs peace and quiet before they go into the office. I like that the kids in the neighborhood feel safe here. I like that the old folks in the neighborhood, the ones whose families don't come to visit as much, or who don't have much family left at all, I like that they can come by during the slow periods and just hang out and talk. These are the kinds of things that I want. It's the kind of man I want to be. And I get to be that guy. And until a few months ago, I had everything I ever wanted. It was devastating to watch her deteriorate the way she did. Renee was so sick for so long. I can't imagine what it must have been like for her. When she got the diagnosis, it was already pretty advanced. The prognosis was bad. It was real bad. There was no hope. No options. A tumor in an inoperable region ruled out surgery. And a life-threatening reaction to the first round of chemo took an already long-shot option off the table, too. There was nothing left to do. She dabbled in some alternative treatments that weren't a lot of help. But one of the people that she went to introduced her to a support group. Something kind of new agey. She went to a couple of meetings and came home and said, Honey, you're not going to believe this. I think these ladies are witches. So let me go ahead and tell you that this isn't like what you've seen in the movies. 
This isn't like the craft or a bunch of people dancing naked in the woods. They believed in connectivity with the earth and the universe. And what they believed and what they did, well, it brought her comfort and peace. She came to see herself as a little piece of the grand story of the earth. And she felt like she had a place in the world. We had a little laugh that she'd inadvertently joined a coven and wondered what her still-practicing Catholic parents would think. I was raised Catholic too, but I haven't believed in God or the devil in years. But you'd be surprised just how quickly that instinct to recoil from anything pagan came out in me, at least there in the beginning. But I saw how much it meant to her and how she genuinely felt better. The group met at a little retreat center that one of the ladies owned. Her name was Angela. It was really just a cabin in the woods a couple counties south, about 30 minutes after you get out of the Kentucky suburbs. They had big meals out there, and they talked, and they wandered in the forest. When she came back, there was an energy there that I hadn't seen since before she was sick. Hell, since we were in our 30s. I would almost think she was getting better. Every now and then, they ventured into the metro area for their meetings, eating out at some new-agey restaurant, or once, they helped us do some work on the store. We had some touch-ups to do at the market. Some areas needed a little paint. We bought a couple of rugs to put down on a particularly beaten-up portion of the wood floors. And the whole place just needed a good deep cleaning. Renee told me to take the day off and that she and the ladies could handle it. And so I did. And it was nice to have a day off. But all of this was a big distraction from the fact that her cancer wasn't in remission. And that she wasn't getting better. It was still carving its way through her body. Whatever they did out there, It wasn't really healing her. It was just helping her make sense of the inevitable. And I was glad for that. We were lying in bed one night after she got home from one of those trips. Oh, I'm just so jealous. Angela's 35. She has 40, 50 more years. I'm learning so much about how to live right here at the end. I just wish I had more time. She was right. It wasn't fair. It wasn't fair at all, but life isn't fair. It's just physics. We keep going until we don't, and that's all we get. She got more incoherent not long after that. The cancer was affecting her liver, and it stopped filtering out the toxins in her bloodstream. Those toxins made their way to her brain, and that made it hard for her to think straight. She started telling me that there were spirits that influenced people for good and bad. The angel and devil on your shoulder. The kind that would influence you over time to do something horrible. She said she would protect me from them. And she went on about other spirits, too. Spirits that are stronger. 
they can reach out and hurt people directly. They don't need to influence humans to do it. Spirits and demons that can be conjured and controlled. She was losing touch with reality. A few of the ladies from her support group noticed it too, and they started coming by the house when she couldn't get out anymore. They spent time with her there. They did some kind of blessing on the house and then on the store. Renee told me that she'd seen something out there. She said it followed her home and she wouldn't be there to protect me for much longer. She begged me to let the other ladies come around and continue blessing the house. I even participated in it myself. I played along and let them do their thing. I didn't believe in any of it. And I didn't appreciate them telling her that I was in danger. Especially in her diminished mental capacity. But what was done was done. So I went along with it. I don't know if that was the right decision, but... It seemed to make the most sense at the time. The worst part, though, was the whispering. At night, in her sleep, I heard her whispering gibberish. Nonsense. Sounds that didn't make words. She'd never talked in her sleep before, but the disease was doing strange things to her. One night I woke her up. She was restless and groaning. She was having a nightmare. She needed her rest and I felt bad for waking her, but the writhing and muttering and groaning, that wasn't resting. Maybe if I woke her up, She could go back to sleep and she'd be able to reset. But instead, she laid there for a long time, just looking up at the ceiling and thinking out loud for me to hear. She said they'd been dabbling in the supernatural and she was afraid they'd gone too far. This is when I really started to resent her new group of friends. Sure, they thought they were helping her, but now in her diminished state, whatever they were doing was showing up in her nightmares, robbing her of the sleep that she so desperately needed. It was only days by then. A few more terrible days. It was really the end. Her life. Our life together. It was all over. At the funeral, two of Renee's friends, Angela and Pam, they left me their phone numbers and told me to call if anything strange happened or if I just needed to talk. I kept them, but I never took them up on it. I was glad they'd been there for my wife when she needed them, but... Now that she was gone, I couldn't see any reason that I would want to stay in touch with them. I get up early in the morning, and I look out that big window, at the river mist over Newport, 
the skyline across the water. I think about how I've got it all. Everything I ever wanted. But none of it feels very satisfying without my best friend. So now I go through the motions. I do what I love. I'm the guy I always wanted to be. But I can't escape the feeling that my best days... My best days are behind me. Lately, I've been getting restless at night. Not getting enough sleep makes it hard for me to enjoy those early mornings. Some nights I turn on the TV in the other room just for some background noise. And some nights I lay awake, staring at the ceiling. Other nights I go downstairs and I mill around for a bit. The store feels different at night. I have to be careful about the lights. I can't just turn them on or people will think that we're open. So, I have a little lamp in the office at the back. I turn it on and leave the door open just a little bit so I can see what I'm doing. And it makes the place feel eerie. A few weeks ago, I went downstairs because I was restless again and craving something to eat. It wasn't hunger. It was boredom. Nonetheless, satisfying the craving would help me get back upstairs and hopefully fall asleep. I went behind the deli counter and fired up the hot plate. I was in the mood for a hot sandwich. Turkey with melted cheese thrown on a skillet with buttered bread so it cooked up like a grilled cheese sandwich. The trick is to put a little bit of crushed red pepper and some thyme in the hot plate with the butter so it sears it right into the bread and gives it a spicy little kick. I put the sandwich together and then I sat back on the stool behind the counter and waited for the grill to heat up. I looked out at the store. A couple of short aisles and racks about four feet tall, so from back here, I have a completely unobstructed line of sight through the whole place. The big windows up front looked out at the houses across Cortland Avenue. I leaned back and just absent-mindedly looked out those big front windows from my perch at the back of the store. Two big full windows from wall to wall with a glass door right in the middle. It was quiet. The neighborhood is usually quiet this time of night, but it wouldn't be strange to overhear bits of conversation as people walked home or dogs barking somewhere nearby. But none of that tonight. Not even cars passing by outside. That's when something happened that nearly made me fall out of my seat. As I was looking out those big windows up front. It's like I registered it in slow motion. At the edge of the window on the right. Right at the very edge. There was someone standing there looking in. I felt my chest tighten and my breath stuck in my throat. My vision went cloudy and red with adrenaline. I don't know how long they'd been there. I looked closer, trying not to move, 
just to make sure that my eyes weren't playing tricks on me. They were still, motionless, wearing a dark hoodie and jeans with their hands up on the windows on either side of their face, like they were blocking out the glare from the streetlights to see inside. I saw their head move just slightly as they scanned the inside of the store. I considered ducking down behind the counter, but the movement might catch their eye. That's when I could hear the grill start popping and sizzling to life. I wouldn't be able to sit here for long. I'd have to move to turn the grill off or go confront the person at the window. Were they casing the place? Seeing if it was worth breaking into? More importantly, had they seen me back here? And then it hit me. Did I lock the door when I came in? A few more seconds passed. There was only one way to find out. And it was better that I surprised them while they're still outside the store than after they come in and they feel cornered. I took a deep breath. My shoulders tightened and I balled up my fists. I could feel my heart pounding. I gave myself a countdown. Three. Two. And then they ran away from the window and around the side of the building. It was a quick and effortless motion. Silent. Like they were never there. I became aware of the grill again. Sizzling and popping. I flipped the knob to turn it off. I had lost my appetite. How long had they been standing there? looking into the store before I saw them. I didn't pass them on the way in, so it couldn't have been more than a few minutes. I hurried to the front windows and looked in the direction they'd gone. I could see them up at the end of the street, about to turn the corner. They were walking quickly, with a purpose, but not running, not fleeing. I turned back around and saw the light from the office. I noticed how it obscured everything past it, including the deli counter. So they probably hadn't seen me back there. Maybe it was nothing. Maybe they just saw the light and they were curious. I gave the door a little tug. It had been locked. I was okay. Everything was fine. Either way, I was done down here. I didn't want to spend another moment here. I turned off the office light and cautiously, as quietly as I could, I stepped out into the night. Slowly and silently, I let the door fall back to rest before locking it. My heart was still pounding. I walked around the building just to be sure they weren't still lurking around. I knew they weren't, 
I'd seen them up the street, turning the corner, but I still checked. I climbed the stairs on the side of the building to my apartment door. With one more long, sweeping survey of the street below, I went back inside. The next day, I sort of let the incident fade to the back of my mind. In the light of day, I talked myself out of thinking it was a big deal. Maybe they saw the light on from the office, outside. Maybe they were trying to see if we were open. I mean, for all I know, it was a regular customer who noticed something off and they were just checking in. I don't know, maybe that's a little naive. But I looked over the footage from my security cameras. I have two of them. One of them faces the front door, and the other of them looks toward the back of the store. The security guy said you wanted them facing both directions so that you can get a good look at everyone's face from every angle. Unfortunately, the one facing the front door didn't get the edge of the window where the person had been standing. But it was worth a try. The thing that upset me the most was that I wanted to talk about it with my wife. The way that you can talk about things with someone you've shared your life with for 25 years. You can communicate in half sentences and phrases that are just unique to the two of you. That happened a lot more than I expected. Something would just come up during the day and I wanted to catch her eye from across the store or text her or I'd find myself bookmarking the story in my mind just out of habit to tell her about later only to close up the shop and go upstairs and just keep it to myself during the day the memory of the stranger looking in the window had more or less faded from my mind but at night after I closed up the market and walked upstairs to my apartment I felt anxious before I went inside, I looked over my shoulder, down to the base of the stairs, expecting to see that figure there, looking up at me. That's the thing about something like this happening. It doesn't just happen to you once and it's over. It happens again and again in your mind. I'd lay down in bed and stare at the ceiling until I fell asleep, or if I didn't fall asleep until it was time to get up. And it was after one of those sleepless nights that I got a visitor in the store. My back was turned when I heard her voice. Well, hello, stranger. Angela was leaning against the counter. The same Angela my wife used to go on retreats with. The one that we joked about being a witch. She was here, in my store. Oh, hey. Hey there. How, how, are, uh, how are you doing? I acted like I was trying to place her. Like I wasn't exactly sure how I knew her. I don't know why I did that. Well, I was in the neighborhood and I thought I'd pick up some lunch. Okay, okay. We've got uh, hot sandwich boxes back by the deli counter. Uh, all the foodies say that they're the best this side of the river. 
Well, what's on the other side of the river? I, uh, uh... I'm just kidding. I'll take one. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. Just, uh, taking it day by day. Day by day? Yeah, just taking it day by day. Well, I hope you know that if there's anything the other ladies or I could do for you, we'd be more than willing to help out. Renee was so very special to us, and we told her that we'd look out for you. I could feel my blood pressure rising. I don't know what that was supposed to mean, but I didn't need any looking after. I appreciate that, but I'm getting by just fine. Well, you know, since I'm here, I just wanted to tell you that there are dark spirits out there. You know, we've encountered them before. They have a way of latching onto people, and they can take up residence in a place. Someone who's in a dark place, a place of grief, they could really latch onto someone like that. Okay. Well, that's that's maybe the stupidest fucking thing I've ever heard. I've upset you, and you know I certainly didn't mean to do that. If you change your mind, here's my number. That's what I'm trying to do, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I appreciate that, but you guys only knew her for a few months. I appreciate everything that you guys did. I really do, but I don't need any help grieving. And I don't need any help against whatever spirit you believe in. The lunch crowd had started coming in, and some of them were looking at me. I needed to get a hold of myself. She tapped a card on the counter. A business card, but it was just her name in a P.O. box. And then she left. A couple of weeks passed, and I'd all but forgotten about the person looking in the window that night. I didn't even look over my shoulder anymore when I went upstairs at the end of the night. I noticed one of the other ladies from Angela's group, Pam. She came into the store, too. A couple of others also. They didn't announce themselves. They didn't try to come talk to me. They just came in, poked around, picked something up, checked out, and left. I pretended I didn't recognize them, and they did the same. I don't know what they were doing, why they started coming around now. Maybe it was some sense of duty to Renee. I don't know. Maybe they were just admiring their handiwork from the time they helped remodel the store. That probably wasn't it. But a person can get used to a lot of things, and after a while, I even got used to seeing them come around. And my routine more or less went back to normal. I try to get to sleep early most nights, and most nights it worked. And I got up early in the morning to open the shop, and I watched the sun rise over Cortland Avenue. I even went back to going down to the shop for the occasional midnight snack. And most of the time, I didn't even think about the strange visitor peeking in the window a few months ago. Everything was back to normal, even if it was a new normal. One night I woke up to the sound of thunder. 
I saw dull flashes of lightning behind the curtains. It was far off, but I could tell by the wind that it was heading this way. I laid there for a while listening to the rumbles in the distance, watching the light get brighter and brighter and more frequent. The walls creaked against a gust of wind and then settled. I was fully awake. I looked over at my phone. It was a little after 2 a.m. I got up out of bed and went to the main room. The lights were off and the room was dark, but the curtains were open on that big window, the one that looks out at Cincinnati. The light through the window made it so that I could find my way around easily. I got a beer from the fridge and went to the couch, kicked my feet up, and watched the storm roll in through that big window. I love that window. It was only a couple minutes later that a particularly bright flash of lightning and simultaneous pounding of thunder startled me to my feet. All at once the room went dark, which was weird because the lights were already off. Out in front of me, I saw the few blocks between myself and the river had lost power. The street lights were out. I got up and moved to the window. I craned my neck in both directions. As far as I could see, the Kentucky side of the river was dark. I looked around the apartment. The clocks on the stove and the microwave were off. I heard the sudden absence of the hum from the refrigerator. The window unit air conditioner was still humming, but quietly coming to a stop. A few clicks and drips of condensation. The ceiling fan overhead was slowing down to a stop. The apartment was silent. And then I heard something else. I heard music. Muffled and soft, so quiet that, even if the refrigerator was still running, it wouldn't be audible. But, there it was. I looked around the apartment, trying to sense out where it was coming from. And then it occurred to me. The speakers downstairs. They were Bluetooth speakers, and they had a battery backup. During the day, myself or any of my employees could run a playlist from our phones. Had I accidentally connected to the speakers downstairs? I got my phone out to disconnect them, but there were no music apps running. Maybe someone else was connected to the speakers. My employees at the store. Maybe one of them was close enough and connected by mistake. But they would have to be really close, right? And then it came back to mind. That night that I sat behind the deli counter, waiting for the grill to heat up, looking out the front windows and recognizing the shape of a person who'd been staring into the store for who knows how long. That same feeling of helplessness, sitting completely still, hoping they wouldn't see me, holding my breath. The cameras downstairs, I could access them through an app on my phone. They had battery backups too, so they should still be running. 
I pulled up the app and I selected each camera, but the screen was just pixelated darkness. Without the lights in the store or the streetlights outside, it was just too dark to see anything. Except... At the moment of a distant flash of lightning, I thought I saw something. On the camera facing back into the store, I think I saw movement. I looked harder, but camera lenses don't adjust to darkness like human eyes do. It was just dark, pixelated screen. I flipped back to the camera facing the front door. At the same moment, a flash of light outside my window lit up the store below, and I felt the blood leave my face. Someone was standing in the doorway, on the inside. A woman. A woman I recognized. As the bright light faded from the flash of lightning, I saw her turn to look at the camera. It was Angela. I instinctively stood up and looked around me, as if expecting to see her in my apartment, looking out at me from the dark corners. I looked down at the wood floor below me, as if it would give me some clue about what was happening down there. But she was down there. How was she down there? Just a few feet underneath me. Something else changed on the screen that got my attention. The other camera picked up a light source. There was another person down there, holding a cigarette lighter out in front of them. It was Pam, the other woman from Angela's group. She'd been coming around the store too, and from the glow of Pam's lighter, I could see two more bodies. Two other women that, if I had to guess, were a part of that group too. Of course they were. Who else would they be? The human brain is strange because the sight of a lighter, an open flame in my store, suddenly I was no longer afraid. I was enraged. I don't know what's going on down there, but they're not going to burn down my livelihood on purpose or by accident. Another bright flash from the window. The high-rises across the river were still lit up, reassuring, even if distant. I threw on a raincoat and grabbed my keys. The alarm. Did they get the code from Renee? Did Renee make them a key for some reason? The day that they came to help remodel the inside, maybe? I didn't care. I wasn't going to call the police. I was going to handle this myself. I'm going to go in determined, shouting, puffing out my chest. I'm going to make a real scene. It was time we parted ways for good. No more visiting the store to check up on me. It's time to move on. I opened the door and the wind hit me harder than I expected. I fought it, moving down the stairs as quickly as I could. The awning out front was flapping and rolling the waves as the wind battered the store. I put the key in the lock, opened the door, and barged in. Instinctively, I flipped the light switch by the door, forgetting that the power was out. I shouted. I fumbled with my phone to turn on the flashlight and swept it across the store. And there was no one there.
I ran to the back door and threw it open. Grit and dirt kicked up and the wind stung my face. I took two steps out and looked around. No one. Back inside, I walked down both aisles, checked the deli and checked the back door again. Everything was locked up tight. I made another trip around the store, and there was still nothing. There was no one here. And just then, I heard an electronic humming in my ears, and the streetlights outside came back on, shining through the front window of the store. The overhead lights came on from where I'd flipped the switch when I barged in. My heart and breathing began to slow back down. Now with the full light, I made one more sweep of the store. I even checked the walk-in freezer. Still nothing. No one. I opened my security app again. I could go back and look at footage for the last 72 hours. I only needed the last 15 minutes. I scrolled back to right about where I should have seen Angela standing by the front door. And then I scrolled way further back, just to be sure. Maybe something happened and the cameras weren't recording because of the power outage. I hadn't just dreamed it, had I? Of course not. But I couldn't explain it. Regardless, I was getting anxious in the store. I grabbed my keys and turned off the light, locking it up. The wind hit me hard when I stepped out and made my way back up the side of the building. Back inside my apartment, the fan was running. The stove and the microwave flashed 12 o'clock. Another flash of lightning, and a thought hit me. They don't repair the power lines while the storm is still going on. It would be insane to put linemen up in this wind and this lightning. And if it wasn't a downline from the storm that knocked out the power on the whole Kentucky side of the river, then what was it? I remember that night in our old house, in our old bed, when I woke Renee from her nightmare, and she said that they'd been dabbling in the supernatural. I think we might have gone too far. I'm afraid I might have brought something home with me. There were two possibilities at play. Were Pam and Angela and the other women doing something to me? Something supernatural? Were they cursing me or something? I don't believe in things like curses and witchcraft. The supernatural. We're here until our bodies give out or we're damaged beyond repair, and that's just how it works. There's no God, there's no heaven or hell, there's no devils or demons to torment us. So that rules out the first explanation. The second one, though, is far more mundane, and if I'm honest, it's a lot more embarrassing. I've become the kind of man who's afraid of his own shadow. A grown man afraid of the dark. The next day I tried to push it out of my mind. I was on edge. 
I rushed every transaction, cut short every conversation, waiting for those moments when the store was empty and I could look through the footage again, trying to figure out what I'd missed. Was I so flustered that I was looking at the wrong date or the wrong time? No. It wasn't there. Were my eyes playing tricks on me? I tried something else. While the store was empty, I got up on a chair, back by where the front-angle camera was mounted. I looked for any combination of objects that could, in the dark, look like a person. Look like Angela. Nothing. But before I got down off the chair, I noticed something. On the ledge up by the ceiling, a little fabric pouch. I didn't put that there. It was tall enough that I can't imagine anyone being able to reach up there without me or one of the employees noticing. It was a little pouch, a little piece of cloth wrapped up with something inside, tied off at the top with a piece of twine. Not what you want to see when you're trying to talk yourself out of the idea that you're being targeted by a coven of witches. I brought it down and turned it over in my hands. There were little jagged angles on whatever was inside, like rocks, maybe? I pulled the twine off the top and the whole thing fell apart in my hands, and whatever had been inside scattered all over the floor. It took a moment for me to recognize what it was. Teeth. Fucking teeth. I couldn't tell if they were human teeth or not. I'm not sure that I cared. Why the fuck are there teeth in my store? It occurred to me all of a sudden that if anyone walked in and saw teeth all over the floor, I would have one hell of a health code violation on my hands. I ran over to the front door and locked it, turning the open side around. I got down on my hands and knees and I picked up every last tooth. I don't know a lot about teeth, but I could tell that there were a few different types. Some looked like animal teeth. Some looked like they could have been human. But I have no way of knowing. I went over the floor twice, checking up underneath every shelf just to make sure I got them all. I mopped the whole floor with a disinfectant, and I was about to reopen the store when a thought hit me. Could there be other bags? So for the next two hours, I pulled everything from the shelves. I got up on a ladder and looked along all the ledges by the roof. On top of the freezers, back by the deli. The walk-in freezer itself. I even got down in the crawl space beneath the floor where all the plumbing and electrical is exposed. I found three more pouches, so there had been four in total. Another one, full of teeth, duct taped to the wall behind the shelving units. The other two pouches were full of what looked like dried out leaves. I didn't recognize them, but it's not like I know a lot about tree species or the leaves they produce. They were brittle and mostly turned to dust. They'd been here a long time. The worst part, though, when I pulled up the big rug in the middle of the store... 
the one that was there to hide damage to the floor. I found something painted in what looked like black tar on the floor beneath. A pentagram. I didn't know what to think. I didn't know what to do. But I had a good idea what was going on. Angela and her friends, they come to help my wife touch up the store. They said that I should take that day off, that I'd earned it. They'd put that rug down to cover the floor damage, and I'd never bothered to look under it. What the hell were they doing? And Renee. Renee was here with them the whole time. Baby, what did you get yourself into? None of this explained why I'd seen them on the camera last night. A few weeks ago, Angela left her card with a number. If I was lucky, it was still under the cash drawer in the bottom of the register. I don't think I've ever dialed a number so angrily. It rang three times and she picked up. I don't remember exactly what I said, but it was something to the effect of, what the fuck were you doing in my store last night? Look, I don't know who this is, but you've got the wrong number. This is Renee's husband. What's happened? That wasn't what I expected her to say. I saw you on my cameras last night during the blackout, and I found all that creepy shit that you left around my store. I need you to listen to me carefully. We'd gotten in over our heads. We were trying out something different. Some spells that maybe we shouldn't have been. In my store? We didn't break in. What you saw were projections of us. Bits left behind to act if something dangerous came around. Look. Renee loved you so much. We were all taking measures to protect ourselves. And Renee was afraid she might bring something home with her. Something she couldn't protect you from. It was the most important thing to her, to know that you were safe. That's what sent me over the edge. And that's why you've been coming around. Please, it's crucial that you leave everything you found where it is. I can come over. I can explain everything to you. I can show you... How about this? How about you don't ever step foot in my store again? And that goes for your friends, too. And if you're lucky, I won't sue you for the damage to my floor. Please, I'm begging you. Don't do anything to the floor. That's enough of that. When I was still a practicing Catholic, I learned that pentagrams and hex bags were seriously satanic. And even though I don't believe in any of that anymore, I still had a visceral reaction to that pentagram on my floor. I spent the next half hour scrubbing at the floor. It wasn't tar. I don't know what it was. But it was really on there. I got most of it up. And even though I couldn't get it all, it was cathartic. I smashed the pouches of teeth with a hammer until they were just little flecks of bone. My phone was still on the counter where I left it when I hung up with Angela. I had several missed calls and texts from her, asking me to call her back. And then finally, one that was sent just a few moments ago. She said she was on her way. Now, she lives about an hour away from the store, and I'm pretty sure she doesn't know that I live upstairs. It had been one hell of a day, so I decided not to open the store back up. Take the rest of the day off. Start fresh again tomorrow. Also, 
It meant that if Angela was really on her way, I wouldn't have to see her. I don't know what their game is, what they were using my wife for, but Renee didn't bring some evil spirit home with her from the forest. I'm just glad she didn't find out that they were manipulating her while she was alive. It would have been devastating. I went upstairs and all at once the combination of the sleepless nights and the physical work I'd done on the wood floor caught up with me. I laid down and fell asleep hard on the couch. I woke up after dark. It was one of those naps that you wake up from and lie there in a daze. I went to get something to eat from the fridge and then I'd move back to the bed and go sleep for the rest of the night. The sun had just gone down and the last bits of light were about to fall away past the horizon. I'd left the curtains open on that big window facing Cortland Avenue. The window that I love. The one that looks past the dark waters of the Ohio River and then to the bright lights of the Cincinnati skyline. I could hear something coming from my bedroom. Probably voices from out the window. It sounded like whispers from where I stood on the other side of the apartment. Out the window and down below on the street, I could see a car parked in front of the market. There was someone inside. A woman. The car was angled in such a way that I could see her slumped over in the driver's seat. Maybe it was the grogginess. I wasn't fully awake yet. But she was leaning over in what must have been an uncomfortable position. I looked closer, and her head was hanging, limp, turned at what looked to be an unnatural angle. I couldn't see her face, but I knew right away. It was Angela. And I can't tell you how I knew. Maybe it was just a presence in the room. But I knew that as soon as I turned around, I was going to see Angela, also standing in my apartment, waiting in the doorway. And as my mind caught up to what was going on, I recognized what I was hearing from the other side of the apartment. I told you earlier that my wife, toward the end, she started whispering to herself. That started right after she came back from the cabin, all creeped out about something latching onto her. And now that I think about it, the talking in her sleep, it stopped after that weekend my wife and her new friends did all their work in the store. I thought about how I'd destroyed those bags and how I'd scrubbed and scrubbed to get that pentagram off the floor downstairs. I looked down at Angela's broken neck in the car and that whispering from the other side of the apartment. Oh, I recognized it. 
I'm not so sure anymore that it was my wife whispering in her sleep. Because I was hearing it again now. Something else had been in the room with us back then. Maybe something that she'd brought home with her by mistake. And here's the thing. I'm not even that upset about it. I'm not very good at living without my wife. Without my best friend. But before I turn around to face whatever is in store for me, one more thought comes to mind. More of a memory, really, than a thought. I can't remember where I heard it. But I seem to remember something about pentagrams being symbols of protection. Thanks for joining us for this episode of 13. If you like what you've heard, stop what you're doing and leave a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. This has been Cortland Avenue Market in Delhi, written and narrated by me, Ian Epperson, directed by Brooke Jeanette, Angela was played by Bridget Howard, Renee was played by Lisa Runyon, editing and sound design by Liz Walker, music by Caleb Ritchie, Assistance from Brian Burkhart and Natasha Woodrum. Our Patreon partners get access to an exclusive Discord channel where they can chat with the creators, bloopers, and behind-the-scenes content, too. Patrons to any of our shows get rewards for all of them, including Olive Hill. A note about Patreon. We make the credits to each episode a few days in advance of release, so if you sign up close to the release date, you might hear your name on the following episode. We're on social media at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at some version of Pod13, 13pod, or 13podcast. Just look for the logo and you'll find us, and we'll have links in the show notes. If you'd like to submit a story or contact us about anything else, get in touch at sandpaperpost at gmail.com. That will also be in the show notes. Bridget Howard is the ancient spirit haunting your neighborhood grocery. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for a trailer from Three Spook Girls. Tara. And I'm Jessica, and together we co-host the podcast Three Spooked Girls. If you love the paranormal or murder, join us on Mondays for full-length episodes where we discuss our favorite paranormal stories and true crime cases. And join us again on Thursdays for our mini-sodes called Stabby Snippets, where we tell you all about true crimes happening in the news. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, wherever the hell else you listen to your pods at. You can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by using the handle at Three Spooked Girls. Come and hang out with us and get your spooky on while we scare the hell out of you.